Hi, welcome to the Mother's Guide Through Autism podcast. This podcast is to inspire, support, and build community for mothers raising children with autism. I'm Bridget Shipman, the host and creator of Mother's Guide Through Autism. This podcast has been inspired by my son, Joseph, who's been living with autism for the past 27 years. Today, I will be interviewing my son, Joseph Shipman, who, as I spoke about in our first episode, is one of my greatest life teachers. Joseph will be offering us insight to what his life experiences have been living with autism. So the intention today is to leave you with a better idea of how to guide your child through this journey. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the first episode of A Mother's Guide Through Autism, I really recommend that you go back and listen to it. It is the foundation of this podcast. It will give you what the inspiration behind the podcast is. It will also offer you those early years of when I was suspecting that there was something that wasn't quite right to denial. Also, you know, how we went about getting this, this diagnosis. So if you would go back and just listen to it, I really feel like you will be inspired. Um, It's got some great stories behind it too, that I shared about Joseph. So check out episode one of a mother's guide through autism. So Joseph's going to help guide us today, as I said. Uh, You know, I'm still a mother guide, but I guide now when he asks, um, at least most of the time. I'm working on that. I'm letting go more each day. This is also part of the journey that we will discuss in future episodes of how to let go, how the kids that you're a mother guide to right now, how they branch off just like any of our kids, right, that go off and live their own lives. So you can look forward to hearing about that in our future episodes. So I would like to introduce the guest today, Joseph Shipman. Joseph is currently an artist, musician, and is working at KTLO radio station in Mountain Home, Arkansas. So welcome, Joseph. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for having me on here, not only uh, being the producer of the show, but maybe to get out from behind the scenes for the second one. I'm really excited that we're doing this work together. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful time. (laughs) Yeah. So Joseph, as you know, been working together, you and I as a team to offer others awareness of how to live a happier, more fulfilled life in the autistic spectrum. And I would like for you to tell our listeners as an adult uh, living with autism, what do you want them to know? Well, I suppose that it's not really too different from, you know, just ordinary living. Like um, I'm a 27 year old guy living in the United States, but of course there's a distinct very kind of underlying sense that you're different too, because it doesn't seem like society is necessarily built for you. And it's like a maze you kind of have to figure out, whereas it seems like other people just kind of get it, uh, as it were. Can you say more about a maze and get it? 
Well, it, se- it seems to me like a-, a lot of what I've learned about just social interaction and the communication sorts of things in general has been more like how you learn a certain subject in school and not something that you necessarily just pick up on. It's really the usual experience, I guess, with people that you just kind of pick up on social skills as you go along. But that's been more the case for me later in life. I had to get more of a tool set. I wasn't exactly born, say, with uh, the ability to just kind of pick up on certain things and just kind of get an understanding of why people say this instead of that in this situation and yada, yada, yada. So, Yeah. So with that said, what do you want moms to know out there? What do you want them to know what it's like living with autism? I suppose what I would want moms to know in particular is that, I mean, a lot of moms can already figure that life is going to be hard anyway, whether your kid has a developmental disability or not. But when it ultimately comes down to it, the ultimately the, the, the ultimate thing I want moms to know is that it is uh, going to be okay in a certain way. It's not necessarily the end of the world, basically. That even if it is going to be hard, there is uh, still a human being that you have. And that human being is just different from other people. That's great, Joseph. I think that's great information for moms. So thanks for that. Speaking of moms, I'm your mom. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So what is a mother's guide to you? Can you explain... um, from your point of view, what a mother's guide, me, um, right. has been and is to you through this journey through autism. Well, I wish I were. Uh, I mean, I like to think I'm a creative person, but uh, as far as metaphors go, I heard a really good one off uh, the PBS kids show, Arthur, that there have been a, several episodes about autism, Asperger's, being on the spectrum, etc. But... There was a metaphor in an episode about that in particular, where basically being autistic was likened to crashing on an alien planet. But before you crashed on the planet, uh, before you were sent there, you realize as you crash land, the people forgot to pack a guidebook for what the planet's like, what uh, people exist on it, what language they speak, etc. And having a guide, you know... Usually in life, it's not like crashing without a guide. Usually you have a couple of guides with you or one or several. And this is your family and your upbringing or your support group or whatever. And having a mother as a guide or anybody as a guide is, well, like being on a tour of a place you've never been to. You know, that they can help point out certain things about how how certain things work. So you're not totally lost anyway. Yeah. That's what it's like. I thought that metaphor, wow, that was powerful. I I, I get it. So that's great. Is there any memory that you have of things that caused you fear or discomfort uh, when you think back to those earlier years? Well, remembering the earlier years sometimes is a bit harder to piece together as you get older. But of course, it's the really extremely uh, emotional moments, whether good or bad, that you remember the most. And certainly one of the most intense was the fear of Winnie the Pooh in particular. <laughs> that I don't know how many of our listeners had seen the old Walt Disney uh, Winnie the Pooh films from back in the 60s, that they had a portion at the beginning and the end of those specials that had a live action Winnie the Pooh wink. 
And that was just terrifying to me on such a visceral level. But then add my uh, communicative uh, deficiency and... You know, it, it, it's at that seed where most people probably couldn't even describe what that scared about them. So it's like it multiplied that even more so. It's, and I then remember uh, being in kindergarten where they were showing a bus safety video and nobody had mentioned that it, Winnie the Pooh was the subject. So as soon as I heard it, we were already in the library and I just ran out screaming like a banshee. But nobody else knew why. I certainly did. But it was hard to even explain what exactly it was about it other than being afraid of the Winnie the Pooh. And, you know, as kids are wont to do, some laugh, some don't. Yeah, so interesting that you bring that up because I also remember that moment um, because I was with all the parents in your kindergarten teacher's classroom and I had prepped mm-hmm. uh her so to speak and I said you know I'm not really sure what it is about Winnie the Pooh but Joseph is terrified so if there's any Winnie the Pooh videos that we're going to be showing the kids um, you know let me know because he's not going to do well with that Mm -hmm. and she had checked on it but didn't realize that in that video there was Winnie the Pooh so I heard you screaming and I went oh here we go. And then you came and sat with us and I just comforted you the best that I could. And I, yeah, that's great insight. Cause I knew there was something about Winnie the Pooh, but I didn't understand it was the wink in particular yeah. that made you so fearful. Well, I didn't necessarily know it at the time either, but then the words come and that's the thing is it's like you have the experience in the words later. Uh, And I think that's the case with most people, but I think being on the spectrum, there's much more of a delay between the experience and the language kind of talking about the experience. You just remember how it feels, but you don't remember. Well, like one day in my life, I might not remember the event in my head, like a video clip per se, but I would, will always remember that feeling. Mm. So... And now you can describe the feeling where before you couldn't no, at that yeah. age. Yeah. Great. Well, what gave you the comfort when you were upset in your early years? So what did help comfort you when you had those very fearful moments? Well, certainly people that were close to me, you know, people that were, well, like people that were close to me, like my teachers, family, you know, that it's really important to have that kind of support structure there with people who may understand what you're going through and that, hey, this might be a possibility uh, at some point. And it's just that kind of being there. Like, I don't know if there's anything necessarily specific to do, like a step A, step B sort of thing. You just kind of have to feel it out, I guess. Get to know the person, you know, see what triggers them, uh, what relaxes them and Etc. And a lot of times it was kind of media, like you talked about in the previous episode, where I watched videos a lot. I watched film a lot. I listened to music a great deal. And that tended to help uh, distract me so that there was more time for the discomforting and the unpleasant stuff to actually process in my head. And that's something that still happens from time to time now, except I don't necessarily need, say, an external source to do that even though they're plentifully available in this age of the internet and uh, technology like we've got. 
Yeah. So hopefully you you can clue us in on some of those tools that you've learned to help yourself. Oh, sure. As you've gotten older. But as a child, so we're kind of sticking to those early years, it's really interesting. And as I had mentioned in the early um, stages when you were into all those videos, right? And in episode one, um, we figured out that you taught yourself how to read. So tell us about that. Well, that's almost kind of hard to talk about because... You know, with the question of when did you learn how to read, you know, say I were in a hypothetical psychological exam, I would say there really isn't a time that I remember not being able to read. Like there was never those moments in like, say, preschool where it's like, I don't understand these kids that can read, you know, which I guess for parents, whatever side of the spectrum you're on is a rather common experience for preschoolers. But I can't remember a time when I really didn't where I wasn't familiar with reading or even with writing in the carpet, you know? So, it, yeah. So that's kind of hard to talk about, especially since it's been such a almost kind of lifelong presence with me since as far back as I can remember. So words just made sense to you. Seems like it, especially uh, since I'm such a visual person that words were processed more visually. And I think that's one thing that might've helped me to, grasp some of the more communicative and comprehensive aspects of it. it. That And that's why I think I did so good at spelling tests, for example, because I could like just see the word in my head. Mm. Primarily visual, not necessarily auditory fo- or, or phonics, as it were, in, to use a linguistic term. Mm-hmm. So that that's interesting. And, and also that, um, do you remember me writing little notes and stuff for you so to oh, yeah. help to help communicate with you do you I remember that I especially remember that in uh first grade you know when I was uh coming up through kindergarten and up until about maybe 5th or 6th grade that was a common thing I could always expect in a lunchbox was the napkin with uh the note and stuff on it Was that beneficial? Oh, I think it was even if I didn't uh necessarily process it as such. I think it was good to have something to read kind of a little piece of support like hey I'm not here with you right now but you know I there's this routine that's kind of safe to go back to great yeah so you know and I had already mentioned this so in our next episode I'll be going over some of the tools that I learned and that I felt like worked with you in one of those tools were social stories which really helped in the social aspect But in those early years, in the first episode, I also talked about taking you to the park and you were running, you know, from kids. You and I have discussed this. So can you, to the best of your memory, um, go back to those early years when I would take you to the park and what were the other kids like? I mean, what was that like for you? Yeah, and see, a lot of that is very early in terms of memory. Because I don't necessarily remember the fear of that necessarily. It, it, I don't know. It could have been nervousness about what exactly they were doing. Um, I don't know. I, I tend to have rather good memories about the park in terms of just being able to go out and play and see stuff. And I mean, it was just a great old-fashioned kind of uh, kid time, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. You know, but I don't remember much of the fear of it because I... 
I guess I've always uh, been interested in people and how they interacted, but then it started to get where it might have been unpredictable or not being able to necessarily get into the groove of stuff like that. And that could be something I'm uh, falsifying or trying to kind of stick into the puzzle. But I don't know. I don't have any particularly bad memories of the fear about that sort of thing. Okay. Well, do you remember other kids and playing with them and any interaction with them? Or did it always feel natural to you? Or can you say more about that? I don't know. There there was always kind of a natural sort of feeling about it. I mean, from my point of view, I'm just some kid, right? Because, um, I mean, I didn't really ever learn that I had anything particularly quote-unquote different or quote-unquote wrong with me until I was well into elementary school. So it was just I had these kind of quirks I didn't get. But, you know, elementary school, I remember playing on the playground, running all over the place. Sometimes it was by myself, kind of trapped in my head. So maybe that's a reason that I don't always remember every aspect about the play culture, you know, on the playground. But I still remember kids from back in that time. Were you interested in making friends or were you more interested in what, what did you call that in your head? Uh, just being into my own world, I suppose. Okay. I mean, I had a tendency to get distracted by that, but of course I wanted to uh, interact with kids and make friends and stuff. Any uh, human being tends to want that. And that's an important thing I think for people to understand too, is that there's not necessarily no desire or uh, an avoidance trying to avoid it, although that's certainly the case with some people. But, you know, I always did want to interact with people. It's just I didn't always have the right tools. Gotcha. Kind of like going to a foreign country you've never been to and not bothering to learn anything about the culture or the language. Mm, It's like, I want to go there. Like, now, though. (laughs) Okay. I get that. So, as, you know, as the listeners are listening to us, Um, And if you did listen to the first episode, you can tell my experience as a mother was completely different from my son's experiences. Joseph sitting here explaining to us like he he was um, in a different world, totally different perspective of those times in the early years. And so I think this is great insight for moms out there is, you know, although I was suffering and wanting him to play and have friends. He he seemed, I mean, tell me where I'm wrong, Joseph. It mm-hmm. seemed like you were doing just fine. Well, yeah. I mean, to me, everything was fine. Like uh, the idea of there being something quote unquote wrong with you is usually something that you're taught. And it's something that you get taught the more you live life. And by the time most people become a parent, they're aware of those things. Especially the fact that in a lot of places, being different or having a developmental disability of some kind usually leads to people getting treated differently than they would if they didn't have them. And I think they're suffering inside because they see that potential and they don't want the kid to go through that. They want them to continue to feel like they're fine. Or even worse, they may not know if their kid feels fine or not. Might look like it, but you never know for sure, I guess. Yeah, so as as your mom, and I'm sure other moms out there, that's going to be a relief to know that that you weren't suffering, that it was business as usual in those early years, and that although I was suffering 
and trying to figure all this out that it's it's great relief to know that you are not. So thank you for that insight. Um, I'm sure other mothers are feeling that right now too. So we're gonna we're gonna end it with um, giving some advice, if you will, to moms who are listening and getting their children through those early years. What is your best advice? I think probably the best advice is just perseverance, really. Uh, and not only perseverance, but I guess a kind of presence of mind that to get the understanding that there is that fear there, that the child's life may be more difficult and you want to reduce that as much as possible. And that can lead people into buying into sorts of uh, pseudoscience and certain kinds of ideas about how to go about it, but you have to keep that wherewithal and just understand that it's a whole process and that your kid is not exactly everything you've imagined, but and that's perfectly okay that they are that way for a reason. And you just have to keep persevering and keeping an open mind to know who your child is and work within the flow of that. And of course, it's going to be hard, but it is ultimately going to be okay. Even if their life ends up typical or not. It just is what it is, I suppose, you know? Yeah, it's going to be okay. Uh, I think that is a sigh of relief um, to moms out there, especially those that are in the early stages. And, you know, we had discussed in our first episode um, my point of view and some of the things that I was going through, you know, just... Going from something's not quite right to denial to getting the formal diagnosis. And also, we discussed how pain pushes you forward. And we're going to be discussing in the next episode some of the therapies and the tools to use as your child enters into their education. Um, I'll be sharing what I did that worked and how to begin your relationship with the school system. And also in later episodes, uh, you'll be hearing more from Joseph, uh, some experts in the field that I've connected with. And also, really what is important here is how to care for yourself as the expert advocate for your child. So I want to thank you, Joseph, for being a guest and giving all of us moms better insight on how to support our children living with autism. And it's been a wonderful uh, occasion to be on here and, of course, to be producing this podcast as well. Yes, you're doing great work, um, so thank you. You're very welcome, of course. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, to review, and to share it on social media. You can download my free guide, Five Things I Wish I Knew Raising My Son with Autism, by going to my website, bmvlifecoach.com. And as always, we're offering hope and love and peace for you and looking forward to having you listen in to episode three of A Mother's Guide Through Autism. Mm-hmm.